You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Rabbi Levi Avzan, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Shul here on the Soul to Soul Network, the Farbringen Show every Tuesday from 1 to 2 in the afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Hopefully the chillier weather out down outside today is making your day a little more pleasant. It's been quite a hot few days. Uh, reminds me a bit of New York and today, uh, yesterday's storm and today's weather reminds me a bit more of Joburg, thank God. And I'm sure your headspace is very much November. We're already the halfway mark. And um, when I moved to this country years ago, I was introduced to a condition called Novemberitis which pretty much means nobody wants to talk to you and everyone's just trying to hold their hands tight until December comes and they could go on break. And year after year, I definitely see the wisdom of this uh, definition, Novemberitis. It's a real thing. I could say in some ways I feel I feel it as well. It's like the year just needs to come to an end. That's the headspace many people are at. Interesting, having grown up in the Northern Hemisphere, November is the beginning of the year. I mean, the year really starts um, Rosh Hashanah, September time. Not only the Jewish calendar, but the whole calendar, the work calendar, the school calendar really starts September time. And this is just the beginning. This is like three months into the year. It's full of momentum. Like I'm talking to my siblings overseas and life is only beginning now. And for us, hopefully, things are slowly winding down. And within the next few weeks, we're going to you know, hit the incredible holiday of Hanukkah, which is a beautiful Chag and a relaxing Chag. It's not really a stressful one. It doesn't have any of the Pesach phobias or of the technicalities of Sukkot. It's lighting candles and becoming overweight from lots of oil. A wonderful family holiday, and then we head off to our private holidays, please God, whether we're staying here, whether we're going out of town, but I sincerely hope that you're going to give yourself some time off just to relax. And it's on that thought that I want to tackle. I know it seems a bit far away, but it's a thought that I think is appropriate um, for the time we're at um, on a personal level, and not only here in South Africa, but all around the world, and that is that the greatest challenge of holiday is that after 11 months of spending so much time outside ourselves, we have to spend time with ourselves. We are heading into a period of time in which we will need to spend time with ourselves, and that is extremely uncomfortable for many of us. There's a famous story told about the Kutzke Rebbe, a very sharp and wise and witty uh, rabbi who lived about 150, 200 years ago. And the story is told that the student comes to study in his yeshiva, in his house of study, and the Kutzke Rebbe was known for sometimes just like totally surprising somebody with a question or a wise comment. So he approaches the student and he says, so why did you come here all the way to Kutsk? What did you find here? 
What are you looking for? So the student is trying to impress the sage, and he says with sincerity and confidence, he says, I'm, I came here to find God. What a wonderful statement to tell a wise sage, a rabbi. Hmm, very profound. And the Kutzke Rebbe is not having it, so he turns to the student and he says, Finding God? Why do you have to find him? He's everywhere. The earth is full of his glory. He is in the heavens. He's in the earth. He's everywhere. What do you have to find him for? And the student was a bit stumped. He thought that he had come up with the right answer. So instead of trying to come up with another answer, he turns to his, the sage and he says, So, Rebbe, what should I be looking for? Or rather, why should I come here? And Rebbe says, you come to this place to find yourself. God is everywhere. But where are you? Why are you? What are you here for? Those questions you come here to Katsk. And although that story, you know, is a, seems to be a small Eastern European story that happened 200 years ago, it, it has a deep resonance. And that is many of us have very good reasons, very good answers to the big questions of life. If we're believers, then we could sit there talking about God. We could answer the meaning of life and the purpose of life. And if we went to study um, science, we can answer some of the deep questions that baffled scientists throughout history. We could explain Newton's laws and we could explain Einstein's theories and we could explain deep mathematical problems, etc., etc. Many of us, if we have an education, we can tackle the big problems of life or at least some of them. But then there are the very small problems of life, which are the more important parts uh, problems of life, and that is, who am I and why am I here? Not why is the world here? Why are 7 billion people here? Why does bad happen to good people? And all those questions which are valid and important and worthy of debate. And are there angels? And is there life after death? And is there such a thing as resurrection? And is there such a thing as um, a soul coming back into this body uh, once a person dies? Gilgul, etc.? We often get very carried away with the the profound, the mystical, the otherworldly, the technical. But we suffocate and we avoid the main question, and that is, and why am I here? And in theory, the time for that would be Rosh Hashanah, the time for that would be Yom Kippur, and hopefully... For those of us, you know, who took the time, hopefully we found some kind of clarity then. But we're about to enter a period, we're winding down the year, and now we're entering a period of the calendar which is much more quiet. We get to quiet the noise in our heads, hopefully. We get to shut our phones, we walk out of our offices, and we get a few moments a few days not just a one, not just one day hopefully but a, a week two weeks three weeks 
to be able to really get inside. And the question is, how much of it are we going to utilize? How much of this opportunity to spend time with ourselves and ask ourselves a simple question? Why am I here? What does Hashem need me in this world for? Now, this might sound generic and cliche, but I can only say from my own life that a day that I don't ask this question to myself is a day that I don't maximize my potential. A day that I don't force myself to ask myself, Levi, why did you wake up this Tuesday morning? What does Hashem need of you today? How are you going to add the value you need to do today? If I don't force myself to ask that question on a specific day, then I am underplaying and shortchanging my potential for the day. And each and every one of us has been blessed with such incredible inner wisdom and such incredible impact ability, such incredible holiness. But we only uncover it when we look inward, when we don't only spend time networking with others, but when we network with ourselves. I know networking is... It's recently, the, it's probably the past decade or two that it really became the buzzword. So where are you going? You're, I'm going to network. I'm going to, you know, socialize. I'm going to build my my social base. I'm going to LinkedIn and then I'm going to go to Facebook and then I'm going to go meet people. And it's all about networking and developing um, the spectrum of people that I engage with, which will hopefully help me advance um, my career and my social life, etc. All these buzzwords that exist in today's vernacular. But what about networking with ourselves? It's very nice that we're plugged into so many different people and you have 14 CEOs on your WhatsApp list and you're so well connected and you're so cool and you know, you're just so there. But as the famous expression goes, it's a Hasidic expression, it goes like this. I think also from the Kotzke Rebbe that we mentioned earlier. If I... i rather be in with myself and out with others then out with myself and in with others i rather be in with myself and out with others than out with myself and in with others this is a time of the year that hopefully we could get to know ourselves a bit more and become a little more in with ourselves and really, that's the topic I want to unpack in the next few minutes with you here on the Farangan Show this Tuesday. Beautiful, in the middle of the month of Kislev, um, as we're winding down the secular year. We're in the month of Hanukkah, just an incredible time. Hopefully, you're, our minds are opening and we're relaxing the stress within us and hopefully willing to engage, feel free to engage this show on WhatsApping 061-895-1019 and SMS 34519. This is the song. It's called V'chulam, V'chulam Mekabli Malem, All Except Upon Themselves, The Yoke of Heaven. It's a beautiful duet between Mordechai ben David and his father here on 101.9 Chai FM. Mm-hmm. 
You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avtsan on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Rabbi Levi Avtsan, and today we're really tackling the topic of spending time with ourselves. That's hopefully something we'll be doing in the next f- few weeks and next month or so. Spending a few moments with ourselves. That's what holiday is best for. Yes, it's also there to spend time with loved ones and others, but first and foremost, to be in with ourselves. And I want to share with you the inspiration that really inspired me to talk about this today. So yesterday I was preparing an article um, a few weeks in advance. I was preparing an article on a parsha, on the Torah portion a few weeks' time, and the topic I was really addressing was Joseph. And... While preparing the piece and researching, etc., something just became extremely clear to me, which I guess I should have always known, but sometimes only when we zero in on something does it become illuminated in our minds. And what came clear to me is how self-sustaining this individual was. So I want to unpack with you for a moment this Joseph. Yosef HaTzadik, the righteous Joseph a boy who was orphaned from his mother at a very young age, at the age of six or seven, and was the favorite son of his father Yaakov, was despised and by his brothers. His brothers were extremely jealous of him, so much so that his brothers threw him into a pit with the intention of death and only as a plan B did they opt to sell him as a slave, which was like the, the the better of the two options. And he gets sent into slavery, and he's um, taken in by this character named Potiphar, who eventually empowers him to be the managing director of Potiphar's estate. And not so long after, the wife of Potiphar tries to seduce him and cause him to sin. And when he refuses her... Um, attempts. She accuses him of abuse, which lands him into a dungeon once again from the pit into the dungeon and prison. And there he's locked into prison for 12 years. He becomes somewhat of an assistant to the warden, but you can understand that that's not much of a promotion. And at 30 years old, he's finally brought in front of Pharaoh because Pharaoh has a dream that he cannot interpret about the seven fat cows and the seven lean cows and the seven ears of corn, the fat ears and the small, the small, the lean ears, etc. I know I'm taking you a few weeks ahead of time in the Parsha, but it is already the the storyline really starts developing this Parsha, next Parsha, etc. And here is a character who at age 30 is, interprets Pharaoh's dreams Pharaoh is so impressed by the interpretation and the solution that Joseph offers that he immediately appoints him as second in command to the most powerful person in the known world at the time. And Joseph becomes the most politically powerful Jew of all time and a person who literally saved the known world from starvation during the seven years of hunger as the story in the second half of Breshit, the second half of Genesis goes on to tell. And what baffled me as I was preparing this piece was how did Joseph at age 30 with such a traumatic background, an orphan, despised by his brothers, almost murdered, thrown into a pit, accused 
of abuse, spent 12 years in prison. That's only by the age of 30. How did he become ready to then take on such a senior role, literally of saving the world from starvation and becoming a leader not only amongst the Jewish people, but a leader that was respected for many, many years um, by the Egyptians themselves. What leadership skills did he develop that allowed him to then tackle whatever challenges he had? And what you see when you unpack the narrative, when you really, you know, you sit there dissecting his story, what becomes clear is how in every environment that he found himself in, he always found the moral high ground and stayed there. Whether it was when his some of his brothers, before they sold him as a slave, they, some of his brothers used to tease the other brothers because... Without going to too much detail, Jacob had four wives, and some of the kids were the kids of maidservants, and some of them were the kids of the main wives, and the children of the main wife would tease the children of the maidservants and make them feel less, act towards them a bit condescendingly, and Joseph, who was the son of the most favorite wife, was nevertheless extremely compassionate and empathetic to the, his brothers, um, his half-brothers, who didn't come from such a dynasty as himself. And when it comes to, you know, in Egypt, he manages to not fall into the seduction that the wife of Potiphar is throwing in front of him and rather stand strong as a 17, 18-year-old boy alone, all alone, far away, neglected by his family. Why should he hold on to the values of his family when they neglected him in the worst possible fashion and yet he stays strong? And then when he's in prison, he's greeting everybody and he's smiling and he's in, he's helping people. And when he sees them sad, he asks them how you're doing and he helps them interpret the dreams. Here was a person um, that was constantly rising to the best of the circumstances. We're told that when he was in the, his master's home, Potiphar's home, before he was accused of abuse, Shem Shamayim Shagar Befiv, the, the, the name of God was always regular on his tongue. In other words, he was always mentioning God. He was being grateful to the Creator, although he very well could have felt neglected by his Creator. He nevertheless was constantly in gratitude and awe and mentioning his Creator. So when you see this individual rising at age 32 in such incredible leadership ability and literally saving the world from hunger. He didn't come out of nowhere. Here was a person who had worked on himself in extremely difficult circumstances to develop his own character, the character of not seducing and not caving into impulse, the character of being mindful of God, the character of caring about the weak person, the character of just listening to other people. Interesting, I was um, reading, um, Prime Minister Netanyahu was giving a eulogy to one of the ministers in Israel, a religious minister, his name was David Azulai. And one of the th- he mentioned this wonderful uh, little tidbit that um, the minister who passed away a few weeks ago from, from an illness told his son, his own son, he says, when you get into political power, the powerful people will chase you. It's your job to chase the non-powerful people. 
the well-connected people will chase you because of your position. But it's the non-well-connected people that you have to chase them, which I found such an inspiring and such a beautiful thought. You know, often we're all trying to network, as we mentioned before the break, and sit there building connections with the who's who of the community, the big machers, the the hechefensters, as they say in Yiddish, the high the high windows, the big the big hotshots. But really, the character of a person is not how many hotshots they're connected to, but rather the character is based on how many cool shots, how many people who aren't such you know big names. But the people who need the help, the people who don't need another guy or another person chasing them down, but the people who have nobody chasing them, who seem to have been neglected by society, that is who we're supposed to be focusing our energy at rather than just chasing, you know, the well-connected and the people who have a million friends. To be a friend with somebody that already has so many friends is nice. But to be a friend with somebody who doesn't have many friends or doesn't have any friends is greatness. And that's really the challenge that a person, that each and every one of us can aspire to and can try to overcome and to learn from Joseph and not just be nice to the to the good people, but be nice to the nebuchs, be nice to the people who seem to have it, you know, life hasn't turned out to be a garden of roses for them, and they're not the most sophisticated members of society, and they're not well-connected, and befriending them is not going to advance any social capital within us and not advance our career. It's just caring for the sake of caring, not in a condescending way, not in a patronizing way, but in a genuine way. Only when we work on our character can we then you know, just like Joseph, who was thrown into a position of leadership overnight from slavery to power, from racks to riches in the most incredible way. Only then was he, only through his work with others was he ready to then take on this position of leadership. Many of us want to become leaders. Many of us want to impact others. Many of us have dreams of becoming famous, etc. Whether it's a good dream or a bad dream is a conversation for a different time. But that is the dream of many people. Yes, there are some people who are introverted, but there are many people. They've done research on adolescents across the world, and the greatest aspiration for many of them is fame. And second to that is power. But if I didn't work on my character before I became famous, if I don't work on my character before I I get the power, then the fame and the power will not only not be positive, they will be a negative, not only for the people who I will yield the power over, but for myself. Power corrupts. Uh, you might have seen in the news that you know this very very powerful um, C uh, chairman of Nissan and and Rene and other um, m- very very powerful car companies was accused by his own board of corruption, and he was considered one of the greatest in his industry. Literally revived and built incredible um, automobile companies. And again, the conversation starts. It's the same conversation that happens every few years after a big bust happens in one of these companies that everybody thought was just, you know, perfect. And you realize how if a person does not work on themselves as an individual, they can become extremely powerful. But then the power can actually destroy them. 
How many people have won the lottery and will then say years later that the worst thing that ever happened to them was the lottery? Why? Because if I did not develop my character before I won the lottery, if I did not develop discipline, appreciation, the, the culture of saving, the culture of charity, the culture of, of not being ostentatious, if I didn't develop good character before, then I, will, I can spend millions of dollars – in a few years and end up in debt. How many I, – I, I forgot the percent, so I don't want to say it, but I remember a ridiculous percent of formal um, big league sport players, specifically American football, but other leagues as well, who 10 years after finishing their career, after retiring, are left with nothing, some of them on the streets, a ridiculous amount of people. Why? Because success without character is not success. Success is wasted on a person without character. The greatest blessings of life can be wasted on us if we don't develop the character to deal with. I'll give you a prime example. Family. Family is a tremendous blessing. But if I don't have the character to deal with family, I don't have the character to deal with a spouse. I haven't worked – not have the character. I haven't worked on my character to allow me to deal with my spouse. I haven't worked on my character to allow me to become a better parent. Then that whole gift can be wasted on me. How many people have had such beautiful opportunity, have lovely kids, have a lovely spouse, and they literally have destroyed it with their own hands, whether through being non-faithful, whether through being too focused on their business, whether through just some stupid decisions in their life, misguided decisions, which totally derailed such incredible opportunity where people look at them and they say, you guys had it all. And they really did. They had everything going for them. And the whole thing just falls apart. One of my um, pastimes, it's not a good pastime, but it's just one of the things I do when I want to kill my brain, <laughs> which is, again, not a good thing. But when I'm trying to wind down, I'll often watch uh, true crime shows. In other words, like, you know, stories of crimes that happen and, like, interesting investigations, how they manage to solve the murder. And what so often happens is you're just baffled where these people had everything going for them and then just some stupid decision. They literally destroy their whole, their whole life. They'll kill somebody. They'll, they'll, you know, be corrupt. They'll do something which will derail so much opportunity. And their whole life, which was set up so nicely, is broken. Now, yes, there's some of us, unfortunately, who were not blessed with God to see in our, our lifetime a beautiful set-up life. Some of us really struggle and our life has not been set up nicely. But for those of us who, thank God, we have the, the get, we have blessings. We can count the blessings. And I believe each and every one of us can count some blessing in our life. For those of us who have the blessings, do we make sure that our character is in sync with those blessings, that we're strong enough, that we're moral enough, that we're, we've worked on our impulses and our character traits enough to be able to stand up and deal with the incredible gifts of our life? Because other... Otherwise, our gifts in our life can become the greatest curses when we don't have the character to deal with them. What do you think? 34519-061-895-1019. This is 101.9 Chai FM here on Salt to Salt. You're listening to the Farbrengen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 High FM. This is 101.9 Chai FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Avtson, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Chul, here on the Soul to Soul Network. Far bringing every Tuesday from 1 to 2 in the afternoon. 
And if you're just tuning in, we've been talking about getting to know ourselves and developing our own character, focusing inward, developing a relationship with ourselves. One of the things that I, I always you know, tease when I, when I speak about relationships is why are we so upset that our spouse or our children don't want to spend time with us if we don't want to spend time with ourselves? If we find ourselves so boring, then why should they find us interesting? <laughs> like we get upset when like, you know, the, our spouse um, turns the phone on, uh, is checking their messages while we're talking to them. But what happens when we have some time? We have 10 minutes with ourselves. What do we do? Do we let ourselves talk to ourselves? Do we let – now, I know that sounds crazy, but in, in the best way possible, do we allow ourselves to – for the thoughts generated in our mind to develop and to really listen to it, to the creativity within our minds? Or do we right away take out the phone? One of my favorite things about the High FM show is that once a week for an hour, I can't go on my phone because it's distracting. No, that's not really the most favorite part of the show, hopefully. But every time we have the opportunity to spend time with our, in our own head in the best way is incredible. But if we hate spending time with ourselves, why are we resentful that other people don't want to spend time with us? We're that boring. We really are. We're not interesting. I don't find myself interesting, so why should you find me interesting? But if I can find some interest in my own thoughts, yeah, you know what? Let me think about that. Not like, again, not egocentric, but in, 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 in a humble, sincere way, appreciating that God gave us wisdom and God gave us insight and that if we allow our brain to relax and, and our creativity to rise to the surface – we'll get tremendous insight and tremendous wisdom and answers to some of the deep questions, but only if we allow our brain to relax and spend time with it, literally spending time with ourselves. Yes, I know that we haven't spent time with our son, with our daughter this year. We haven't spent time with our spouse. We haven't spent time with our sibling, with our parent, etc. There's a lot of people that we owe this vacation time that's coming up to. How many people saying, you know what, I'll, I'll, honey, I'll give you what you need. Just wait till December. For two weeks, I'll give you all the attention you want. But I just wonder if there's a little voice inside me that's saying, hi, Levy, but what about me? When do I get to spend some time with you? When do we get to be mindful of our own growth? When do we get to ask some personal questions like, what's up with my character? How am I doing? Have I become a nicer person? Have I worked on myself this year and really seen growth? Have I become a more compassionate human being? Have I, have I become a more mindful human being? Have I become a more calm and forgiving and less stressed out human being? Those are the questions that we should be asking ourselves when we have a DMC, a deep, meaningful conversation with ourselves. Sometimes we might need a therapist just to bounce it off, and that's okay. But ultimately, it's about going and into ourselves and to develop that journey. S many of us know more about the local politician than we know about ourselves, right? Every one of us has tons of philosophies on 
Gupta and Zuma and the, the current government and Donald Trump, of course, and uh, Isra- Israeli politicians. We have lots of opinions and we know exactly who they are. I'll give you a whole three-hour anal- analysis on this politician and that celebrity and the Gansamaisa, the whole nine yards, as they say. We, could, we have a full analysis package on every famous person. Mr. Obama is a this, Mr. Trump is a this, Mr. Zuma is a this, Mr. Ramaphosa is a this. We have a whole story. And about me, about you, about oneself, is there any clarity there? Why is it that so many of us know more about Donald Trump than we know ourselves? Maybe because we read some more of his tweets than we read of us. But really, we're spending more time analyzing Donald Trump than analyzing ourselves. Isn't that a bit absurd? As if anyone's ever going to figure out what's in his head anyway. But regardless, why is it that we spend so much time analyzing the lives of others and so little analyzing ourselves? So we sit there going and we're watching reality TV and we're just, you know, watching people's life stories unravel on the screen. And either we develop empathy or we develop hatred or we pick sides. But, you know, the whole life of television and social media and the living in other people's lives. Literally, that's what it is. Living in people's kishkes. Finding out, I'm sure now is the time that everyone's doing the exams, so, you know, finding out how your friend's daughter is doing on exams and then in two months' time giving them a mazel tov on their marks and the whole story, living in other people's lives. And it's nice. It's always nice to sit there, you know, wishing congratulations and showing empathy. But why is it that we have more empathy to others than to ourselves? And why is it that we show more interest in other people's lives than in ourselves, our own? Think about it. It's a, it, it's a ridiculous concept. I wasn't here, I wasn't sent here by God to solve other people's problems. I was here, I'm here to solve my own. I'm here to play my part, not to sit there analyzing how well or non-well you're playing yours. I think we are a bit too much into each other's kishkes, as they say in Yiddish. We're into each other's guts. Ugh. Gribbling, you know, the, again, a Yiddish word, which means you're just, you're in, you're, you're swimming in somebody else's nonsense and somebody else's pettiness instead of living in our own and, and, and developing a healthy self-awareness, not other awareness. Some of us know more about our spouse than we know of ourselves. Why? Because we sit there analyzing why he's doing everything wrong or she's doing everything wrong. We know our kids, whether they're giving us nachas or they're not giving us nachas and which part of their character is good and which is not good. And these are all important. But when it comes to ourself, new, I'm not here to live through my kid. I'm not even here to live through my spouse. I'm only here to live myself. Am I living true to myself? Am I utilizing my potential? Am I overcoming my weaknesses? Am I developing my character? Am I becoming a more moral person? Those are the important questions that we have to ask. And they're much more important than is there an afterlife? Or do souls come back? And again, important stuff. And what does the future hold? 
And where is the rand going to be versus the dollar in five years' time, as if anyone has a clue? But, of course, that's what we do. We sit there guessing and analyzing, etc. That's not important compared to the basic question. That is, where will I be in five years' time? Not which country will I live in? Again, a conversation that we spend way too much time on. But where will I be in my character? Because no matter where we live, our character comes with us. And it's a much more important question to ask than where we will live in five years. That's a question that God knows. But hakol bidei shamayim chutzmir shamayim. Everything is in the hand of heaven besides one question, and that is my own fear of heaven, our character. That's one question that God does not get involved in and depends on us and demands of us to develop our own character. So where will I be in five years? That's a good question. Where will I live in five years? It's kind of a much more ridiculous question. Firstly, because this place is great. Second of all, because really, we don't really know. God runs this world. This is 101.9 Chai FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM. It's good to have Craig back on the controls. It's good to have you, Craig. Um, the show is almost coming to a wrap. And just want to share one final thought. We are... Two weeks before Hanukkah. We're actually less than two weeks before Hanukkah. We're 12 days before Hanukkah. And I hope that we're already buying our Hanukkah oil, Hanukkah candles, um, starting to buy potatoes for latkes and uh, jelly donuts and, dra- and dreidel games and chocolates and the whole Hanukkah, the beautiful experience. This year, it's still before most of us will go on holiday. An incredible opportunity for us to engage and connect but let's remember that the story of Hanukkah started with one individual, Matisyo, the high priest. One individual in a small town of Modi'in who saw the Hellenization, who saw how the Greek culture was taking over Israel and literally destroying the beautiful Jewish culture that had been developed over millennia, the way of life. They were tackling so much of what made the Jewish way of life beautiful and literally tearing it to pieces. And one man, and then by extension his family, the Maccabees, the Hashmanaim, changed the course of history, gave us the Hanukkah miracle, gave us the inspirational story of Gibberim Biat Chalashim, mighty people who were defeated by the weak and the plenty who were defeated by the few. The inspiring story of eight, uh, the, the oil that burnt for eight nights, and a Hanuk- the, the final holiday, the most recent holiday that all Jewish people observe. In other words, the, the Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot, the main holidays happened way before in history. Purim happened a few hundred years before. And the final holiday that was accepted by all the Jewish world is the Hanukkah story and a story that literally illuminates our lives over 2,000 years later. But it all started by one individual who had the character and the tenacity and the strength and the grit to be able to stand up against the, the entire world. But he didn't become a leader overnight. None of us do. Not Joseph, not Matisyahu, not the patriarchs. Avram did not become the leader of the Jewish people overnight, and neither did the matriarchs, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, Rebecca, from already the youngest age, had to develop tremendous character where she lived, and so did Rachel, Leah, Sarah, etc. So many of us are 
running outward, trying to develop our database and our networking. But maybe, 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 if we develop ourselves a bit more, if we work on our own character, we can truly, truly make the difference in the world that we need. I want to finish off by a beautiful text by Ivan, who says, Wow, Rabbi, is what I'd like to say today. Your words hit your target, hit the target, and resonated with me. Excellent lesson. Thank you. Thank you, Ivan. That's a beautiful message to finish off the show. I really appreciate the feedback. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Have a great week. Please, God, we'll be back here next Tuesday, an incredible day on the Jewish calendar, the 19th of Kislev. Uh, We'll talk about it then. But until then, have a great week, great weather, and maybe even the electricity will come back on. This is 101.9 Chai FM.